Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us as he does every time, every week at this time, from Tightline Outdoors, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well. It's a little cloudy, but I think it's it's kind of nice, actually. It was hot yesterday, but I'll tell you what, there's so much going on, so many people getting outdoors, and we're supposed to have a fairly decent and a hot day tomorrow yet, but then some really nice seasonal weather coming up this week in the mid-70s to mid-80s. It should really be comfortable, a great time to be out, and you're probably, I'm sure, out there doing a lot of fishing and guiding, but I think tomorrow you're going to do something special. Absolutely, Terry. You know, I mean, it's just that time of year. There's a lot going on, and to be honest with you, this is probably one of the most different uh, weekends I've had in I can't even remember, maybe 20 years. Um, free fishing weekend is always a weekend where there are usually just events after events stacked up. Generally speaking, you know, I, I'd say I would make appearances at three or four different events on free fishing weekend, and uh, you know, just kind of the current crazy state that we're in. Uh, you know, a lot of those events have been postponed and moved, uh, so just kind of a kind of a different weekend. But uh, no doubt, the fishing is is hot everywhere um i mean literally you pick a species and you're gonna struggle not to find a, a good body of water producing that species right now so that's great and like you said uh, there is an event that is, that is definitely a go um and that is the annual cast and blast uh put on by colorado clays where we get a fish for four hours uh have a great lunch and then we uh turn over to the sporting clays department uh and shoot for a half a day and i, I tell you if there's a if there's ever an event that tests your skills as a sportsman to, to put both the, the shooting aspect and the fishing aspects in play, it, it's this event. These guys do a great job with this event, and it's one of those things I look forward to absolutely every year, Terry. Oh, it is. It's a tremendous event, and we've been involved with promoting it from my end for years, and, and you uh, you actually started out. Your team was <clears throat> part of the, the radio show uh representation of course you represent tight line outdoors and you have a lot of different people with you uh, who's your partner this year you know, I'm fishing with a, with a young gentleman named Tucker, who I actually met at the Cast and Blast. You know, I, I've done this. You know, we just got off the phone with, with Darren Lindsay from A&A Topper. Uh, you know, I participated at the event with him for many years. Uh, then I participated with Vaughn Peterson, the, the you know, general manager of Bass Pro Denver for many years. Um, you know, and, and this year I'm fishing with, uh, with a young gentleman I met at that event named Tucker. So it should, should be a good time out there. Oh, it really is. I mean, you get this. And Bar Lake is a, a probably – not recognized for the quality fishery it is, is it? I'll tell you, Terry, it blows my mind. You know, right now, if you talk to the average walleye fisherman, um, you know, Jumbo is extremely hot. So there are just a ton of people heading out to Jumbo. Um, a lot of guys going out to Sterling. A lot of guys going to Jackson. Uh, you know, everybody's seeking out walleye. Quite a few going again to, like, the Jackson and the Sterling looking for a wiper. Uh, and I'll tell you, almost all these anglers get on the Highway 76, and they drive past Bar Lake, and they drive, you know, an hour or two um, seeking out these bites when 
in reality, they really need to think about exiting right there at Bromley Lane um, and giving Bar Lake a shot. It, it's unbelievable the, the quality of fishing there. I mean, I, I pre-fished it one time this week, which is a big deal for me. Normally, I go into this event blind, so I'm real excited about it. Um, but in a pre-fish, I mean, there's walleye, there's wiper, there's a ton of trout fishing, there's huge catfish, there's some bass, uh, a solid panfish population, a perch and crappie. Um, so it really is a, it's actually a, a dynamite fishery. And one of the neat things about it is it's a no wake lake. So you can use a 10 horsepower or less. But the nice thing about it, um, you know, with, I'd say, the general consumer using the outdoors recreational opportunities in Colorado more so than they ever have in history uh, with all this going on, um, you know, the lakes are busy. It's just kind of what it is. Bar Lake being that no wake, you don't get any of the the pleasure boating, uh, anything like that. So a normal weekend where some of the other fisheries might get a little blown out, um, you know, where a Chatfield, Shake Creek, or Pueblo, um, you know, by no means is it not fishable, but it just gets a little busy. Uh, Bar Lake is one of those weekend destinations that I always strive for. So if, if you fish during the week, they're, they're all at play. If you're going to fish a weekend, think about hitting up Bar Lake because you have that opportunity to go out there, not have busy circumstances, not have a lot of wakes, uh, but still have that opportunity to amazing fish. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it's a great shoreline by two. In fact, I just got a message from Karen that Bar Lake was just stocked with trout. So the shore fishermen are going to have quite a good time there, too. So it just lends itself to a lot of recreation, and it's great picnic areas and the bird watching because half of that lake is a wildlife sanctuary for birds, and you'll see bald eagles and just unbelievable numbers of birds there. It's a tremendous place to go, and I think I think they're just opening their nature center within the next, if they just did or they're just going to, you know, keeping track of everything that's opening. Nate, what else are you seeing around the state as far as fishing opportunities? You know, every, like I said, everything's going pretty strong. So, you know, starting kind of high to low, um, the mountain fisheries are going strong. Your, your lake trout are starting to retreat to just a little bit deeper water. Um, I would say that that springtime shoreline, shallow water uh, opportunities for those lake trout is pretty much gone now. Um, you know, and when I say shallow, we're saying like less than 20 feet. Um, so by no means are these fish in their summer deep water patterns yet. But um, a lot of times that ice off, those lake trout move shallow. Everybody gets excited for it. Um, um, we are now starting to see those lake trout holding on structure, so I'd say we're in that summer pattern for those fish. Um, so that's exciting. So whether you're at Grand Lake or, or Granby or Williams Fork or Blue Mesa, Taylor, all those fisheries, um, you know, you're going to be finding that somewhat deeper water structure, say, you know, 35, 40 foot, maybe out to 65, 70 foot. And you're looking for contour changes where you have that depth going to deeper water. You're going to have some great lake trout opportunities. Our pike are now in their summer pattern. So our pike at all the fisheries, um, they've moved past their post-spawn. Uh, so now the fish have left the, the bigger flats and are now associating to, to vegetation, associating to weeds. Um, if you don't have weeds, they're associating to points. Um, but again, those fish have moved into their summer pattern. So we're starting to see to where... Uh, um, you know, spinner bait, that type bite is going strong. Um, we're starting to see, you know, where the, the swim baits over the weeds is going strong. Jerk baits on weed edges is strong. Um, but traditional summer patterns. So I would say from now until almost October, uh, those pike are going to be in that very similar situation. So um, you're just a good, reliable bite for the pike. Uh, trout are finally up in the shallower water. So they just this week started retreating out of that deeper water. Um, so we're starting to see rainbows as shallow as two feet of water. 
uh, maybe as deep as 12 to 14 feet of water. So trout are across the board. Uh, but we really like seeing those trout come back shallower just to open up the opportunity of, to the shoreline angler. Uh, you know, about a week ago, we were having extreme numbers. I was actually doing a ton of stillwater fly fishing um, at Spinney. You know, and it's a popular destination as the rivers are blown out. Um, and we were having, you know, 50 to 100 fish days on fly rods at Spinney. Uh, we were putting most of our effort in between about 12 and 14 feet of water. Um, you know, some fish up as shallow as about 8 foot. Most of the part, that 12 to 14 was really that hot zone. Um, and in the last week, those fish have came up shallower, uh, which is nice. So, again, I'd say a week ago, the shoreline anger was, angler was struggling just a little bit. Um, now that those fish move shallow, it, it's fair game for anybody. So, uh, a lot of great trout action in the high country across the board, whether South Park or North Park. Uh, you're going to have some good trout action as those fish start filtering shallower. Uh, our bass are starting to come off their beds. They're in a post-spawn bite. Um, our, a lot of our front range, the uh, the young perch fryer started to hatch. Um, so there's a, a buzz bait bite or a topwater bait bite for bass early and late in the day. Uh, then spinner baits and rattle baits are doing really well for covering water for those post-spawn bass. Uh, so really excited to see that opportunity. And the walleye just continues to be gangbusters. Again, I, I fished Pueblo this week. I fished Cherry Creek this week. I fished Chatfield this week. Um, all of those fisheries are, are just exceptional. Um, you know, I had a I had a 95 fish day at Chatfield on I believe Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, Matt Inslee had a hundred and I think thirty five fish day at Cherry Creek the same day, and Will had like a hundred and twenty eight fish day uh, at the same day at Cherry Creek. So the, the bite is absolutely on for walleye. So we're excited to see that, and I think that's going to last uh, at least another you know three weeks or so before we see the young shad uh, starting to appear. To, again, it's not going to stop the bite, but just slow down those extreme numbers that we're seeing. What kind of techniques are you using for the walleyes? You know, Terry, it does not matter. I hate to say it. I wish I could come to people with this very technical, you know, I'm a pro walleye advice. Um, at Pueblo, our, our best suggestion was we were slip boppering. Uh, we caught fish on jigs. We caught fish on live bait rigs. But at Pueblo, the closer you got to the submerged oak brush, the better you got. So you, we drove over a piece of structure with the graph. We marked the edges of all the brush, um, and we slip bobbered right next to it, and it was on fire. Uh, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, same thing. Live bait rigs catching a lot of fish. Um, the simplest thing of a jig head with a piece of nightcrawler on it. No tail, no body. Um, you know, like a quarter-ounce jig head, uh, you know, fairly short shank hook, and just put a half a crawler on it, pitch it out, jig it a couple times, and they are on it. Um, even jigging with paddle tails and, and curly tails is doing well. Um, but uh, I would say if you're looking for the highest number days at, like, a Chatfield Cherry Creek, um, sitting still to where, you know, anchored or slow drift and pitching jigs to where when you're on that school of fish, you really capitalize on the number numbers of those fish um you know if you're looking to, to drag baits like you know the live bait rig catching you're just going to go in and out of the schools so you're still going to catch some fish but i'd say if you're looking for the most numbers uh parking your boat fairly still and really capitalizing on every school is going to help you catch more fish um and as always if you are looking for bigger fish go shallower um you hear it every week on the show when we talk about walleyes it never seems to stick completely uh we still get a ton of calls questions concerns uh um, about about bigger fish.
fish. Um, there's no doubt with the, the lack of shad in chapter right now, the fish are skinny. We get a lot of questions on that. They're going to be okay. Uh, for everybody that's worried about the fishery, nothing's wrong. We have low, you know, shad years from time to time. You know, every five to ten years we get a couple of them. Um, so the fish are skinny. Uh, the shad did have a good successful spawn. Uh, as far as I know, everything looks good on, on you know, the, the average, you know, state of looking at those fish. Um, I Hopefully those fish will be at a mature enough state uh, to where this cold front this week does not harm them. Um, so I think we'll bounce right back in July with a good food source, and those walleyes will bounce right back on their, their overall weight. Uh, but with that being said, you want bigger fish, go shallower. Uh, so if you're catching numbers of fish in you know 8 to 12 feet, then look for those big fish in 4 feet. Um, there's no number restrictions. Everybody tends to, as a walleye angler, they get sh- real scared of that shallow water. But you want big fish, you are going shallower than the numbers of your regular fish. And just keep that in mind if you're looking for, for, for the bigger fish in the system. You know, you talked about pitching jigs, which is one of my favorite ways to fish. I love that. Um, I'll even do it at times when other ways are more productive just because I like to fish that way. But I'll tell you one thing that's changed my jig fishing, and I'll bet it has yours too, and that's spot lock on our trolling motors. Being able to, instead of having to anchor or try to hold the boat in position manually, to just put that spot lock on, and now I can move around the boat and cast over a piece of structure. It is just revolutionized jigging for me. Oh, I tell you, revolutionized jig fishing, and I tell you, it, it's changed the entire lifestyle of being a guide. Um, obviously, boat control is everything uh, when catching fish. I hate to say it. I mean, more so than technique, more so than the angler, more so than anything. If your boat's not in the right position, you are not going to catch fish. And um, as a guide, you know, we have to take care of our guests. I mean, it's, you know, tying knots, baiting hooks, just making sure everything's right. And, you know, doing that with boat control, it, it gets to be a chore on the average day. Uh, you know, I run a motor guide XI-5, and that anchor mode, it keeps you within like an 18-inch circle. It's unbelievable. It defies the capabilities of what a GPS technically should do um, to where I, well, my boat is literally the last of my worries when I'm fishing on the average day. These electric motors, whether it's, you know, trolling a contour path for you from its memory or anchor mode, the boat it literally is almost running itself to where my 100% of my focus is on my guests. Um, and exactly, your your boat control and the location, it makes jigging and almost any technique um, so easy. It was crazy. I was actually out last night with my kids doing some some late-night catfishing, uh, and it got howling. We were, at, we were at Chatville. We had white caps. I don't know how hard it was blowing. Um, and I was literally able to fish bottom presentations for big catfish with that motor. The boat literally hardly sways at all to where i mean you can do any technique uh with the capabilities of that motor so if anybody's listening they they don't understand it or they, you know, they have an older motor um you know no matter what brand you choose uh getting one with some sort of anchoring or spot lock type situation um it is absolutely amazing it will change your your fishing for sure we are out of time nate tell them how they get a hold of you and if they want a guide trip or take part in one of your events Absolutely. You know, so we, we got always have a ton of stuff going on. You can look us up on Facebook, uh, just Tightland Outdoors. Go to our website, tightlandoutdoors.com. Uh, you know, Father's Day is coming up. I know we're talking about a ton of gift cards for that. Uh, so always excited to, to partake in that, those opportunities. We have our catch rate coming up in two weeks, uh, which is basically a weeknight, a weeknight uh, tournament series. Uh, yeah, we always got a lot of stuff in the, in the burner. We're going to release a pretty amazing video uh, this week of my children at six years old catching five lake trout uh, in that 20-pound range. So keep an eye 
on our Facebook page this week. Uh, i got a lot of stuff going on. We also are doing a live Facebook feed on Monday with the Wildlife Council from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So the Wildlife Council is going to be on my boat uh, Monday morning at 9 a.m. at Chatfield. We're going to do a live Q&A with the Wildlife Council uh, talking about where funding goes to, how fishing and hunting uh, actually impacts Colorado and recreation. So uh, jump on our Tightline Outdoors Facebook page on Monday at 9 o'clock. Stay tuned. It's going to be a great live feed with Wildlife Council. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Talk soon. All right, Nate Zielinski. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, author and a renowned fly fisherman, Steve Schweitzer, is going to join us. We're going to talk about Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, Indian Peaks Wilderness, and some alternatives to fishing the rivers right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Uh, joining us, he's a renowned author. He's uh, You see him fly tying at all the shows. He's a very accomplished fly tire and an accomplished uh, fly angler and heavily involved in the industry. Steve Schweitzer. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. You're always a great resource. The first thing... Uh, tell people about the books you've written really quickly. We'll get into them more later, but I want to kind of establish the, some of the things you've done. Yeah, the, uh, the two books that are probably pertinent to this discussion, I've I put out four, but the two today are uh, one on uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and the other is a fly fishing guide to Colorado's Indian Peaks Wilderness Area. And the two properties adjoin each other, so it's, it's like a combo, you know, two books to cover one big area of Colorado. Now, now I know you you fish, and folks, if you haven't seen these books, they're like they're soft cover books, but they're like card t- or uh, coffee table books. The photography, Steve's a, a accomplished photographer, and they're just fantastic. And with the parks opening up, I thought we'd start our discussion today talking a little bit about Rocky Mountain National Park. I know it's one of your and my favorite places in the world. Uh, it probably it's just opening to the public within the last week, but there's some restrictions, and it's also uh, it's 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 probably just opening too because the high country is probably just starting to thaw out. So, kind of bring us up to speed about what you know that's going on in the park. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that uh, there are some restrictions, and uh, there there's timed entries. So there's two hour windows throughout the. An hour, an eight-hour working day from like six to four or something like that. That uh, you have to reserve your entry into the park, um, and the the timed entry reservation fee is just two dollars per car per that two-hour window. Now you can stay all day, uh, but they just they just kind of spread out the traffic so that you're coming in at a two-hour window, uh, and you go out to recreation.gov. Um, to uh, reserve those tickets and pay for them. That's recreation.gov. And uh, and just navigate around to Rocky Mountain National Park timed entry. So I've already got like five or six days already booked uh, throughout June that um, my wife and I are going to go up and visit the park. And this time of year, um, the fishing can be really good along the banks. Um, As the water is high and it's still clear, or clear-ish, you know, it's not going to be a runoff mode, which we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Um, 
the the high water dislodges a lot of food that comes from those banks that normally don't get in the river. So, you know, uh, grubs and beetles and uh, earthworms um, you know, get dislodged, and those fish hold tight to the bank because that's where the slower water is, and they don't want to spend a lot of energy, you know, finning themselves around in high water looking for food. So you don't need waders. You just go up and you walk really stealthily along the bank and you uh, cast a, a nymph rig with a, a worm, a, a stonefly, uh, a betus nymph, you know, like a pheasant tail or a hare's ear. Um, and you can get away with some larger sizes and some uh, less than uh, graceful casting. You can get some fish right on the banks. Oh, I, I can attest to that. I, I once tied the most ridiculous fly in the world that no fish would look at. It was supposed to be an elk hair caddis, but it blew up on me when I was packing the hair. And Karen was fishing with that, learning to fly fish, and she just kicked my butt. We couldn't keep the fish off of it. I mean, and no respectable <laughs> fish would have mistook that for anything. But even even when you get when it warms up and you get up higher, big bugs on the surface, because these are opportunistic fish. Um, so when you're up there fishing... What about Indian Peaks? Is that starting to open up? Is it a similar situation? How is access there? Yeah, yeah. So Indian Peaks is, on average, you know, the fishing destinations are roughly 500 feet higher than the equivalent fishing destinations in Rocky Mountain National Park. So it's a little higher altitude. It opens up later in the year. Uh, one of the popular uh, entry points is the Brainerd Lake Recreation Area, um, and that's not open right now. However, there's a, a parking area uh, just before the gates that open up, that's uh, roughly two miles from the lake. So you have an extra two-mile hike, and it's all on paved roads. Um, so, you know, roughly uh, 10 to 15 minute. well, no, that's when you're running, right? Uh, no, it's probably like a half-hour walk. Um, and uh, uh, you can get right into the, you know, go up to Mitchell Lake and Blue Lake from there, um, Isabel. Uh, now, there's going to be snow up there. So you may post holes, so just be careful on, on walking on that soft snow. Um, but ice out on those lower altitude lakes, and those streams will still be running relatively clear, but a little high. It can be some pretty magical fishing if you're willing to trek in there. Oh, I bet it will. Um, before we run, I'm going to keep you for another segment, but before we finish this segment, I want to talk a little bit about your books on the two areas. And we have a lot of people getting outdoors that maybe at this point in their lives, they're not anglers. So they might go to Rocky Mountain National Park just to hike. They might want to get away from the crowds and go up into a little higher altitude or the same thing with Indian Peaks. Your books, The Fly Fisher's Guide to Rocky Mountain National Park and Indian Peaks, both will serve that uh, hiker well too, won't they? Yeah, I cover most of the trails in both areas. Of course, the trails are focused on taking the fly fisher to water that can be fished. Um, uh, but uh, it's essentially a hiking book that takes you uh, along water. So you're going to get a scenic hike if you're not a fly fisher. Tell people what they'll see in the book as they go through the pages. Yeah, each section has a topographic map covering a certain drainage, and then I discuss all the lakes and all the rivers that contain fish along the way, and I even tell you which lakes and rivers are have been known to be barren uh, through uh, surveys, uh, fish surveys, so I save you the time from flinging a rod or uh, you know, flinging a fly line in water that may not contain fish. 
And they're great, great books. The photography, I don't know how many years you spent gathering the pictures, but the photography is fantastic. The, just great, great pictures of both. And, and you also give uh, indications of typical hatches and flies, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So as I discuss each river or lake, I always uh, try to give a, a fly pattern that might work well in that lake. Different lakes produce different bugs of different sizes and colors. And so I've spent the time up there. It took me 10 years to write the Rocky Mountain National Park book and five years to write the Indian Peaks Wilderness Area books. But, so I spent over, what, 2,500 trail miles in the combined areas and lots of fishing time. So all that knowledge is in these books. All right, but before we tell people how these get these books, I'm going to put you on hold, and then when we come back, before we tell them about where to get the books, I want to tell them about some alternatives to fishing the rivers, which are running kind of high right now, and what you've been doing in that aspect. All that and more, we'll put Steve on hold, and we'll come back and talk about all that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are talking to author and fly, accomplished fly angler Steve Schweitzer. Before I go back to Steve, I do want to mention it on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We did an interview with Kirk's Fly Shop about a week or two ago, and we posted that. And that's kind of a follow-up to what Steve talked about on Rocky Mountain National Park. And um, I also put some links in there to two of the television shows I've done in the park. We've actually done three shows up there and they're completely different approaches and you can find those on my facebook page or you can find them on my youtube channel the best of fishing with terry wickstrom but let's go right to the phones and steve we talked about the parks a little bit and you mentioned that soon the water will be melting in that high country and we'll see those rivers blow out and that's already happening in some of the some of the lower rivers where the flows are coming up making it difficult to fish so before we tell people where they can get your books um, you like to do a little alternate fly fishing this time of the year for maybe other species or other other venues, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just all about catching fish. It doesn't have to be trout. <laughs> and, well, yeah, and one of your favorite fish, in fact, one you had a great outing for, is one that I love to fly fish for also, and that's carp. Tell us what, what you did, I believe, at Sterling Reservoir. Yeah, yeah. So I was up there uh, last weekend with some friends, and uh, I've got friends who have boats, so it's the best friends to have, right? Uh, and so we went out on Sterling, and you know the carp are very active right now. We saw them swim around singly. We saw them paired up. We saw them in pods of four, five, six fish at a time. And um, but you know they're pretty smart fish, so they practice you up for good presentations and good casts for other fish, you know, particularly saltwater fish. But, uh, you know, a small, uh, dark, woolly bugger, uh, unweighted, uh, cast to them really closely to their nose, um, it sinks slowly and they just pick it right up. And we had, I think we, um, we lost count after the first fish, but I think uh, we're, we're well over 50 fish for two of us in the boat that day. And I'll bet there was some size to them also. Oh my gosh, these these carp, um, I've fished to Sterling every year for the past four or five years, um, and by far they're the biggest carp we've caught in, in, the, in, the, in the past five years, 10, 12 pounders, um, you know, in the high 20-inch uh, range, so these are big fish. Oh, and uh, I've caught a number of carp, both on fly gear and conventional gear, 
And uh, a 10-pound carp will pull your string, and they get a lot bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, they they actually outdueled us for the day, and we, we finally gave it up in the afternoon because we were just tired. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was big fish. Yeah. Well, and yeah, people don't underestimate carp. If you're catching release fishing anyway, what a great game fish. And they will prepare you. You know, Steve, a lot of people are going to get that 8 or 10-pound brown on once in their life or that, that bone fish or that permit. And if you've never had a big fish on a fly rod before, you can pucker up a little bit. And, you know, when you get a big carp on, you don't get so nervous because if you lose it, you figure there'll be another one coming. And it really is good practice and gain confidence for playing big fish. Yeah. For for example, you know these fish were not chasing a, a stripped, uh, you know, small woolly bugger. You had to put it within a foot of their nose so that they would swim into it. If it was off to the side uh, or behind them, they're not going to turn around and and go chase it. So it also gave you practice on on being accurate. Oh, it, it really does. Hey, before I let you go, before we talk about the books, you also did some still water fishing for trout, which more people need to get into the still water fishing with fly rods, don't they? Yeah, you know, during this time of year when runoff is going to start pushing you off of the rivers you'd love to fish normally, uh, you got a lot of tailwater uh, type opportunities, the Big Thompson, you got the Pooter, you've got um, uh, South Platte and your Deckers, but there's also lakes like uh, Spinney, and I believe in this previous segment, uh, uh, was it uh, was it Troy? I can't remember if somebody was Nate, saying that. Nate, uh, Nate Valenti. Yeah, it was, yeah, that it was, um, you know, just off the charts at Spinney. Well, same thing. I was at Intero a few weeks ago. I can't say it was off the charts because the wind came in and I was in a float tube, and you know what that means. That blows me to the other side of the lake, but uh, I did pick up quite a few fish on some small midges under under a fly fishing bobber you know a strike indicator so hey we got to run but if people want your books tell them what your books are and where they find them yeah rocky a fly fishing guide to rocky mountain national park and a fly fishing guide to indian peaks wilderness area easiest way to find them is on amazon.com and you got a couple other books tell us about those well, if you're into fly tying and, and bass fishing, I've got a book on uh, on designing uh, topwater lures and poppers and sliders and divers uh, that came out about two years ago, and then another one on making your own leaders for fly fishing. All right, my friend, um, always great to have you on. We'll get you on again soon when the park is really in full swing and get an update from you. Sounds great. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Steve Schweitzer, uh, you can look him up online, but go to Amazon and buy his books. We're going to take a quick time out, and Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk about um, finesse jigging for multiple species. And Chad, uh, it's one of his fortes, and he'll he'll share a lot of great information with us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Dyer State, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. One of our favorite contributors is on the line, Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning from the Drizzly Horsetooth Reservoir. Yeah, I'm looking out my window here from my office, which isn't that far away from you, and it, it looks dry, but it doesn't look good. It might be drizzling out there. But, hey, we're going to talk about a technique that you and I, I think, both really, really uh, it's one of our favorite techniques, and one of the techniques that if we were limited, we would really have this in our tackle box, and that's using jigs, especially if you have to finesse fish. What do you uh, tell us about it? 
Well, yeah, and first of all, it would be the one thing. If somebody said, you have one technique, it would be a finesse jig for me because it works in almost any condition. But let's talk about what finesse jigging is. When I'm, finesse jigging for me is something between a 16th and a quarter ounce jig head. It's light line. It's a small, relatively subtle, uh, soft plastic put on there, although some folks would also do it with a, with a live bait. Uh, for me, it's a small, soft plastic of some sort. Um, it's a medium light or light powered rod, most commonly a medium light powered rod. And, uh, and it also comes down to my best equipment. The most expensive rods and reels that I carry, uh, are my finesse jigging rods and reels. And that's because they are, first of all, bread and butter. I can use them all the time. So it makes sense that you're going to you know get better value if you spend money on them. But, but more importantly than that, it's a very uh, say sensitivity strong technique you need to be able to feel what's going on you need to be able to have good control all the time and uh and so you really need uh, high quality equipment for that to really have your your best you know case scenario so i'm a big advocate of starting with the lure so you pick the lure then you pick the line then you pick the rod then you pick the reel that's how i put all my systems together for anything i don't care for fishing for snook or bluegills starts with the lure and <clears throat> finesse jig for me is uh typically an eight ounce jig and either a two and a half or three inch tube on that be a little berkeley power tube or maybe a three inch gold minnow would be a good choice or a you know power bait maximum flat nose minnow also a good choice a little three inch power grub fantastic choice uh or even a little boot tail uh you know like a pro shad or something like that a little boot tail you know uh, kicker thumper tail style bait in the two and a half to three and a half inch range um that's the that's the the bread and butter and like these days i've been guiding a bunch on horse tooth and we're doing that almost exclusively to the point that i was saying that my client threw back at me yesterday i hadn't said in a while and he's like well you always told us june's for jigging and we jigged all day we did not ever put the jigs down and uh you know and it's just a very consistent technique the other part of it be, be behind the eight ounce jig is then either six pound trying 100% fluorocarbon, so it's very light line, or it's going to be somewhere around the eight, maybe 10 on the outside, uh, Berkeley X9 braid or string super braid or uh, Nanofill or whatever kind of braided line it is that, that folks have confidence in. And I typically will marry that to a short leader of also either six or eight pound trying 100% fluorocarbon. So that's kind of a personal preference between the fluorocarbon and the braid. For me, I like the fluorocarbon better around rock and wood cover. Uh, if I'm fishing dam faces, things like that, it's more easy to free a jig up. So let's say I'm on a dam at Chatfield, I'm for sure going to be throwing with fluorocarbon because when I do hang that jig, I can get it loose easier. Uh, but if I'm fishing around grass or fishing real deep, then I'll put it on the braid. The, the braided line does a better job around vegetation. Um, and also gives you more sensitivity and longer range as far as hook sets go. So it's dealer's choice as far as the line. For me, it's a 6-foot, 10, medium-light, extra-fast action rod probably 95% of the time. <clears throat> These days I'm doing those on Abu Garcia Premier Fantasistas. Uh, I've got clients doing it with uh, Veracities and Veritas rods, and, uh, you know, it's working really good. And then you need a really light reel with a very smooth drag and set it as lower than you think you need it because you don't need monster hook sets. The jig head is exposed. Uh, the light drag will protect your line. You always have time to tighten it if you need to, but you never have time to loosen it. So 
uh, that's my basic setup. And then from there, it's all about casting accuracy, line control, and watching your line all the time. Well, you know, Chad, one of the things you mentioned that really right it hit home with me, and you talked about a light reel. Um, this is a good friend of both of ours, Doug Stangy. Him and I, we used from in Fisherman, we used to argue about this. Doug likes a bigger reel, even on his finesse rods, because he likes the bigger loops. He feels it gives him more casting distance and less memory in the line. With the super lines we have today, and you and I using a lot of braid on our reels, I like to go as small a reel as I can get away with because the lighter reel, I just feel, adds sensitivity to the rod. Oh, yeah, 100%. For me, my my uh, finesse tackle needs to be very lightweight all the way around so it's more responsive. If I add something heavy to my to my rod, anything heavy, uh, it's going to dampen the sensitivity of the rod, and I don't need anything that's going to dampen that sensitivity because it's very difficult to feel bites, and you've joked about this for years, you know, what you feel is the fish spitting it out. You don't feel them pick it up. They're a lot of times very subtle because this bait is most commonly being either just flat out drug on the bottom or maybe swim, you know, through the water column a little bit off the bottom, maybe with a with a little bit of a lift and drop. We're not really talking about snap jigging here. We're talking about keeping a bait to the bottom and giving fish no reason to not bite it is really what it comes down to. It's small, it's subtle, it's natural, it moves more or less naturally and it just really gives fish a reason no reason to not you know not go ahead and bite it and a key part of it along with the heavy reel excuse me and the very light tackle lightweight physically lightweight tackle is also not death grip in the rod you just need to let the rod float in your hand the more that 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 rod can just do what it's designed to do the more you're going to feel the more responsive it's going to be. Also, the less snags you're going to get. If you start squeezing that rod like it's a tennis racket or a golf club, it is not. you're not going to have the sensitivity or the feel, and you're going to snag the bait more. And so I really preach to clients all the time, let that rod just barely hang in your hand, let the rod do all the work. And I said it before, but I'm going to say it again, watch your line. Even with my clients in the boat I had in yesterday and the day before, I've been out with those guys. They know the deal. I drilled them on it. I still have to call half of their bites. Hey, you're bit. Go ahead. you got to let them know because I'm watching their line all the time. I might be talking or whatever, but I'm watching their line, and I'm still calling bites for them that they're not seeing and not feeling. And every time, clients are amazed, but it's just a matter of discipline, and that's really what my coastal glasses are for is to watch the line on the surface of the water. It's not for seeing you know stuff under the water necessarily or anything else. I need to be able to pick that line out on the surface of the water because that's really my strike indicator more than feeling bites. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's so important. And if it comes to between line being invisible and the fisherman being able to see it, being able to see it will win every time. Chad, we got about a minute left. What is the fishing like on horse tooth? It's busy. You're going to be fishing behind people. And keep that in mind, which is another reason finesse jigging is good, because uh, my guide trip yesterday, I got one spot by myself first. And by eight o'clock in the morning there's guys everywhere so it's going to be busy having said that the fishing is good 
uh, mixed bag, a few trout are showing up, a few walleyes are showing up, smallmouth are, of course, going. We're starting to see the bluegills uh, come around as well. So, But they are getting a lot of pressure. You need to fish well. Uh, you need to go into it with a mindset that you're going to, you know, you're going to be fishing in, in and around people because there is a tremendous number of people on the lake right now. But it is not hurting the fish. It's hurting the fishermen, but not the fish. If you're willing to, to suck it up and get out there, uh, you're going to catch some fish, no doubt about it. We're we're putting a whole bunch of fish in the boat right now. Are you fishing main lake or are you back in the coves? All of the above. And the biggest reason I'm spending as much time in the coves as I am is because the main lake's getting really banging. So, uh, you know, it's it's it borderline, you know, impossible to fish with the boat rocking as hard as it is. There's a tremendous amount of traffic, Terry. And so uh, that's it's great. We have people in the outdoors, but, uh, but it's definitely changed. I mean, it's like a 100% increase in visitation from last year, maybe a 200% increase. There's a lot of people. But there's fish on the main lake that will bite. There's fish in the, in the coves that will bite. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll show up real shallow. All of a sudden, you're, you know, you're working a bank and you look over and there's fish that are right up on the bank. And I'm talking about trout or walleyes. Uh, we're still seeing some out in deep water as well. So it's really dealer's choice on that one. Uh, I would say fish your strengths. But I will say this. If you're not getting bites, move because you're, the fish are cooperative. So if you put a, put a bait in front of one, you do it right, they're going to bite it. And, if, and, and right now, if I leave in the dock, I probably have three different finesse jigs tied on. And I'm going to go to town on them. All right. We got to go, Chad. But if people want to book a guide trip or more info, information, fishfultinker.com and fishfultinker on Facebook. Uh, yep. Facebook, Instagram. And also, please check out our YouTube channel. That's also a Fishful Thinker. And we'd love to get some guys out. We do have some availability yet this month. All right. My friend, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much, Terry. You guys have a great day. You bet. Chad Lachance. Or one of our favorite contributors and one of our favorite sports talk hosts, I'll bet, is in the studio right now getting ready to either bash me or talk sports. Good morning, Dan. Can't we do both? No. No, okay. We don't well, have I, just, I just like if what we Chad... Take, if, if we take the time to do both, you'll say I'm stealing time from your show. That's all right. Hey, I just love it when Chad's on because, you know, then you actually learn something about fishing, Terry. Yeah, watch it. I knew you'd get something. <laughs> hey, seriously, um, I got a question for you, you know, the coaches, the NFL, are reporting back to facilities. I assume we're going to get some, you know, ability for players to come in, maybe in small groups, I don't know, and eventually a training camp. But with all this political, and I don't want to get into sides or what's going on, but we've seen things coming out of some of the high-profile players. Is any of this going to divide the locker room, you think? I don't think it's going to because of what happened with Drew Brees and Vic Fangio. I think that's going to help bring things closer together. I think what Drew Brees did, uh, his mea culpa, so to speak, was impactful. So I think the players are on the same page. They're actually going to uh, march downtown uh, today at 1230. The Broncos are. I don't know. And some of the coaches are going to be there. So I think from the locker room perspective, it'll be more of a unifying factor. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm wrong. But so far, that's the sense I'm getting. All right. My friend, I'll close this up, and people can tune in and get your opinion on that and all kinds of things. All right. Have play some Eagles on the way out. All right. Well, we certainly will. I tell you what, we're going to wrap it up, and uh, you can hear us every Saturday from 9 to 11. And uh, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Karen. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour. And Dan Jacobs in sports on 104.3 The Fan. Intermission, baby.